Welcome to the Good Leadership Podcast 2.0, where we'll be diving into what good leadership looks like today and sharing insights that we as executive coaches have gained along the way. I'm Paul Botts, the CEO and founder of Good Leadership, where we align teams to thrive and win together. And I'm Kevin Sensnick. I'm honored to serve as the Chief Learning Officer with Good Leadership, and I'm president of Interaction Dynamics Group. We're the Mid-Atlantic Partner for Good Leadership. So between you and me, Kevin, how many years of coaching experience do you think we have? I would have to say off the top of my head, probably around 50, Paul, because I've been doing it over 20 years and you've been doing it almost 30 years, right? Yeah, that's true. And I don't think of myself as being much over 50 either. So (laughs) there you go. Well, this is something we've been dreaming about together, you and me. It's it's exciting to be able to share Mm -hmm. this information in in a podcast and and the opportunity to share the the behind-the-scenes knowledge of what it looks like to be an executive coach day-to-day. Yeah. So remind me, how did you actually get started as a coach? Yeah, so I was working for the second-largest government printing company in the country. I was the chief operating officer and really enjoying my executive role. But my background was in organization development, and I knew I wanted to get back into coaching and developing other leaders and other executives. And after a few years of running that company, I recognized that my passion is in organization development and coaching. And so I made a decision to leave that executive role, uh, begin the, uh, the active pursuit of a coaching assignment and coaching role. And it led initially into more development work, training and development type work. And then that allowed me to grow my coaching skill and Moved to executive coaching with you several years ago. Well, you're pretty humble. You were with Dale Carnegie International and Herman and a whole bunch of other stuff. And so, yeah, yeah we're, we're really lucky to have you. Um, my start is a little different. I was assigned an executive coach as part of a succession planning project hmm. for a, a public relations firm that I was a partner in. And I was fascinated wow. by his methodologies. And then our CEO actually made me in charge of all business development. We had 13 practice areas. And And I knew that I couldn't be the salesperson for the 13 practice areas, but what I could do would be to hone my skills as a coach. And I tell you, I learned really quickly that the practice areas who were aligned and committed and accountable as a team, they grew. And the ones that weren't Uh, uh, didn't grow. And along the way, I met a woman who owned an industrial organizational psychology company, and she saw some talent in me. And she uh, hired me away from the PR firm into that firm. I was the president there for seven years. There, I really got to coach a lot of executives. It was a fascinating time in my life. And now we've had good leadership for 13 years. And the other day, someone was asking me, how many CEOs have I coached? And I counted it. Now, I'm over 100 now. I'm at 103. Wow, that's great. Yeah, so it's really fun to be sharing these stories and and, uh, connecting with people about the, the magic of executive coaching. Well, with those years of experience and that number of executives to coach, there's going to be lots of good examples to share and lots of uh, wins and lots of challenges in that as well, I'm sure. So. Yeah. So uh, what's going on in your practice these days that you want to j- talk about here? Yeah. So it's uh, early in the year. It's been a fast start to the new year. Obviously, this has been a challenging time for many of the clients we're working with to get through everything that's happened the last 22 months. And they've been, I believe, facing some sense of burnout and challenge. So just helping executives find that sense of renewal. I think the last two weeks, the coaching conversations have all had that as a common theme, a sense of, I want to lean in, I want to dig deep, I want to accomplish great things, but there's times I'm just feeling the strain of that. And so just helping them to find a sense of renewal, a sense of re-energizing, and a sense of connecting back into their team in a meaningful way 
that excites them as well as leaders. Yeah, that's amazing. That's exactly the same thing. So uh, it's the beginning mm. of the year. Presumably, we all get time off to refresh and reflect. And so I always start the beginning of the year by asking people, so how are you feeling about the year? It's just a simple, wide-open yeah. question. And normally, people respond immediately. Executives that we work with, they're, they're these usually they have these deep wells of positivity, right. and they usually say, oh, I'm excited about this and that. And yeah. I have to tell you, <laughs> this week I've talked to six CEOs, and three of them said, you know what? I'm beat. And mm, I yeah. have very seldom do I hear that. And, yeah. you know, we know the economy's booming. Businesses are up everywhere except basically in hospitality and entertainment. But I think the question these days is at what cost? Right. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're making money for their shareholders, they're for their executive teams, right. for their employees, uh, certainly for themselves. But a lot of people are asking me about how to think about what might be next. And so I'm Right. I think I'm predicting here that the great resignation is going to continue and it's going to continue in a robust mm -hmm. way for a lot of these people at the top. This has really been mm -hmm. a really challenging time. And I know yeah. in my own business, you know, we have a small business, but we've gone through a whole bunch of things that have really tested me personally. And I'm lucky. We're winning. We're having fun. Yeah. I, I feel like my job is adding years to my life instead of taking those uh -huh. years away. But I do know a lot of C-level leaders, CEOs, that they feel like their jobs are taking years off their life right now. And so, oh, wow. you know, it, it's important that we remind people on the podcast here that what drives you and me is that we believe that goodness pays. Right. And goodness yeah. is the spirit when people thrive together, both personally and professionally. And so I spend a lot of time these days helping people find that sense of renewal in their jobs. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I reflect on what you just mentioned there. I think you're right. Usually the turn of the new year, there's that week or two in between Christmas and New Year where people get refreshed and revitalized. And almost everyone has said, it went so fast, I didn't get that downtime. So whatever's happening right now, it's creating an urgency and pressure on executives right now. And I think to your point, we need to help them see that opportunity to thrive again. Great, great perspective. Thank you. So now, if you've listened to our Good Leadership podcast before, this might be different from what you're used to hearing. So we decided to go with the classic adage, new year, new me, and we applied that to this podcast. Kevin and I will be recording this podcast and sharing it every other week. And we'll start like we just did by catching up on what's going on in our coaching conversations. And then we'll talk a little bit more about what it means in the context of teams and leadership. And we'll add in some success habits, those things that you can take away and begin to apply in your leadership to help your team thrive. Yeah, I'm really excited about the success habits concept because we've added that into the Good Leadership Breakfast, which you know we've been doing now for 12 years. And it's right. amazing how we're able to pull out from people who observe certain leaders what they think are their success habits. And success habits are, are fun to talk about because they're things that leaders have learned to do over and over and over again because they really work for them. And I think there's sort of an endless well of success habits if we stop and look for them. Paul, my experience is that's one of the distinctions we have in good leadership coaching. Uh, many execs I talk with have had coaches in the past, but it's always been more focused on do these things, don't do these things. And by adding in the success habit element, leaders say that's a very different approach. And I leave our conversation not only with a sense of where I'm at today, but how I want to create that future. And that's how we, again, help them to thrive and their team to thrive. I also think that um, the inherent concept in a success habit is that someone else has observed it in you. 
It's a right, triangulated right. concept. It's not really fair for you to declare your own success habits. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Although some, we like to do that as leaders, right? Like say, this is my success habit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, but I'm, it, it really does make a difference when someone else, someone you respect and admire, identifies that in you. And that's kind of what we're yeah. thinking. Our version of leadership is the plural theme. That's why, you know, we coach teams. Yeah, and so that's interesting because you talked about this idea of others seeing the success habit in us, and then you just mentioned that idea of us thinking about coaching teams. Uh, What really led to your thinking, Paul, of shifting from individual executive coaching to team-level executive coaching, and how does that play out with clients that we work with? Well, that's an excellent question. So we have to even walk back to when I first got interested in executive coaching to begin with. I was in the public relations and advertising field. We were helping to make sure our clients had their positions down and were communicating effectively so their businesses would thrive. So when I got into coaching, I never really thought about it as coaching an individual. I thought about it as coaching someone who had um, immense leverage over the team and that the team could actually prove their success with business results. So for me, it's always been a plural concept. And then about five years ago, we... um, became acquainted with an organization, a big, huge hospital system that also mm-hmm. had a healthcare plan, and they were owned okay. by a quasi-government board, and they ended up removing their CEO because um, three really important indicators were really plummeting. Patient satisfaction scores were going down, the employee mm-hmm. engagement scores were very low, and they had wow. dropped down into below the 25th percentile in financial performance. And so the team wasn't getting along, the culture was kind of sticky, and um, yeah. so they, they identified a physician leader. We'll just call him John today. Huh. And this physician okay. leader was really, really popular in the culture. He had great people skills. Yeah. I suppose you could say his bedside manner was fantastic. And so yeah, they tapped him on the shoulder and said, we want you to do the job for a year while we search for a new CEO. But we, we would love okay. for you to do what you can to keep the team together. If you can raise morale a little bit and if you can kind of stop the financial hemorrhaging here, we would, just, we would really appreciate that. So he called and asked our firm to coach the team after he had his first full day offsite. And he noticed a team that really uh, did not like spending time together. There was a whole lot of tension, and it was not good tension. Yeah, so Paul, real quickly, before you go any further, and it's an interesting story, but how many people were on the team, and what was his relationship with that team prior to taking on this role? Okay, so there were eight people on the team, you know, most of the classic uh, C-level positions, and he was Mm. essentially um, a a quality consultant. I mean, he was, if you think about the physician group, sort of was almost like an employee union, if you will, and he was one of the top leaders that was in charge of uh, monitoring and improving quality. So he knew these people, and he wasn't really one of their peers, but it's awkward because he was kind of a consultant, and then all of a sudden he became their boss, and that had its own tension in there. And so then, yeah, then he did the the meeting, and then he was observing the team differently. So what what was he observing, and how was he looking for us to begin to do with him? Well, what's funny about it is he observed that nothing felt good about that meeting. So as a physician, Uh, you know, these people are scientists, and he wanted desperately to be able to measure what was going on in that team. And the reason they came to us is because we have an instrument, it's called the Team Momentum Survey, that measures, you know, the basics about teams. And we know that the highest performing teams have strong relationships, and they're also set up to succeed. And so, you know, the relationship piece is about people who actually like each other, you know, they care about Mm -hmm. each other's success, both personally and professionally. 
And then the structural piece is that they they know how to build plans and solve problems together in ways that complement one another's strengths. So he um, came to us, he saw our tool and said, you know what, I'm going to have my team do this. Uh, okay. he, didn't, he didn't give them a choice. And <laughs> so um, luckily it doesn't take long. It's you know, 24 questions, takes about 10 minutes. And when we had that first meeting, it was fascinating. Half of the room was not at all surprised that every single indicator on the Team Momentum survey was red. I mean, and it was wow. brilliant red, like Rudolph's blinking nose Ooh. red. And the other half was blindsided by it. They're like, how is really? it? How could it be this bad? And it was such a huh. fascinating reaction from the same group of people. And John yeah. said, so where do we fit in the whole sort of schema of all of your coaching clients? And my colleague who was with me, uh, she said, well, we just have to be honest. This is the lowest score we've ever seen on the history of the Team Momentum Survey. I'm sure that's not what he wanted to hear at that time, maybe. <laughs> well, I think he knew it. But then he okay. said, well, do you think this is going to be just a little incremental change we're going to have to make or a transformational change? Uh, and I said, well, it's going to require a transformational change about how you meet, when you meet, how you right. interact with each other. And then the CFO raised yeah. his hand and said, um, yeah, but I don't really think we need coaching. And I said, really, tell me more. And he said, yeah, because – Every one of us around this table already has an executive coach except for John. And John, huh. I'll never forget this as long as I live. He threw his head back and belly laughed like Santa Claus and said, well, <laughs> oh, my word. Well, I can tell you what. All those coaching dollars we're spending on U8, that's a terrible investment. We need Ooh, to, That's very blunt and direct. Yeah, he said, <laughs> we need to stop that. I'm going to give you 30 days yeah. to get rid of those coaches because we need coaches who are all working together, helping us mm. – accomplish the same goals around this table. He said, it's really clear to me that the way things are going now, what you're learning is to how to protect your turf, you know, right. how to defend yourselves. And I think yeah. what we're all realizing now is that the situation was so uncertain that mainly what they were doing was really protecting their own jobs and padding their own resumes because I think every one of them thought they were going to get fired just like the CEO got fired. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Well, so when we finally got to that first session where we – started working on how to turn that team momentum survey around. One of the leaders just openly admitted, you know what? I really hated spending time with this team. Wow. There was nothing about this team that was functional. And I'm really hmm. glad that John did a survey because, you know, we respect data. We, we run the rest of our organization yeah. with data. But to see the data for the team was something that was very eye-opening. She said, I went home and talked to my husband about this and said, you know, I'm really willing to give this a try. Good. I would rather not change jobs right now. I would really rather commit to this and see what happens for the next six months. And so what was fascinating is everybody around the table said, you know what? I had a similar response. Hmm. And so we had a little pact. We said, we're going to give it a try for the next six months. And at the end of six months, if people aren't happy on the team, then John said, I'll actually help you find another job. Wow. And I thought that aligned with our goodness idea, right? So mm -hmm. goodness begins when people have a sense that they can thrive together. Right. And right up until that moment, you could tell they were infighting. They yeah. didn't have each other's backs. It was almost like they didn't even care if the people stayed as a part of the right. team. And I just remember thinking to myself, we are going to make a huge difference here. And, you know, I, I knew back then, someday we're going to be able to tell this story. 
So, you know, here we are right now. I can tell you, I can fast forward that four months later, they were able to see some really positive momentum. So they took the survey again, and there were no reds, and it was half wow. greens and half yellows. And, you know, they were, they, there might as well have been a drum roll when we showed it. And the reason <laughs> is, is because they were starting to work together and feel like winners. And at that point, John said, you know, I, okay, I've uncovered my blind spot as a team leader. So all of us have blind spots. We have a preference for how we want teams to function. So John's a relationship guy, and he spent a whole lot of time asking people to just trust each other. Come on, can't we just get along? He was a harmony guy, right? And so he was trying to get them to trust each other, and he was failing. And the blind spot is that in order for them to actually get better, they had to be clear about each other's roles and responsibilities. They had to acknowledge what they admired about each other. They had to create uh, decision-making systems that were transparent. Mm -hmm. They had to track things that they promised to each other. Mm -hmm. And by doing those things, they started to trust each other more. And part of the the moral of this story is that, you know, we we can't begin with trust. Trust is an outcome. It's an output of how people work together. So when they saw that, team momentum survey that was um, looking better. Mm -hmm. So they started to realize that the way to really feel like winners is to build strategies that was actually attacking the marketplace as opposed to attacking the internal things. So the the emergency room numbers was what they decided to talk about, the emergency department. Okay. Their scores were very low on quality, satisfaction and time to turn people when they, when they came in to when they actually got to see a physician. And so they focused all their energy on the emergency department. And just uh, two months later, they raised their scores by 22%. Wow. And when they did that, they were able to walk around and congratulate people. Right. Uh-huh. And celebrate the fact that some meaningful metrics were actually making a difference in the organization. And that kind of revealed the second piece about this team that I think is true of most teams that we, you and I engage with. And that is that these executives got really good at bringing me first energy into the team. They're bringing their own agenda in, trying to sell it to their team. Right. And we first energy is what gets a team going in the right direction. Just within the last couple of weeks, I came across some data that I think is fascinating in explaining what this is all about. So Russell Reynolds is one of the big search firms and, uh, you know, HR personnel firms out there. And they did a really cool study in November of 2019. And they identified that 93% of all executives believe they're making a positive impact on the team that they sit on at the top of the house. Okay. But out of that same group, only 55% of them believe that the team that they're sitting on is actually going to be able to deliver their goals. A little bit self-indicting there and they don't even recognize it. Yeah, that's 38% (laughs) gap. I mean, that is massive. And what it says is, you know, executives overinflate their own self-importance. Right. And their their impact on things. And it also, they're blind to the idea that if the team isn't delivering, how could they be contributing positively? Yeah. It, It just doesn't make any sense. So one of the things we did with this group is we had them all share each other's goals with each other. Hmm, okay. They'd never done that before. Wow. And then we had this conversation that's as much like a kumbaya moment as possible. And we said, well, what would it be like if we had a special incentive where we could celebrate when everybody around this table hit all of their goals? Interesting. 
That was a game-changing idea for that team. And at that moment, they committed. And the CFO, who was really the most negative, you could even use the word toxic, wow. he came back that next day and asked John for a two-year contract extension. Interesting. And when that happened, everything got better on this team. It was really something special. And I can tell you that um, John ended up staying for 18 months. They did find a new CEO. It became one of the best jobs in the country. Uh, about half of that team is still there today. And it really yeah. is one of our most um, satisfying client stories. And it really helped our firm, Good Leadership, really commit to the idea that we wanted to be the world's best executive team coaching firm out there. And uh, it feels really good today. That's outstanding. I really appreciate you walking through the elements of that, Paul, kind of where it started out, where it ended up. I think the couple of things I was listening to you talk through that story is just how it resonates with me to other types of companies. Because I think you hit a couple of key points in there that I recognize. One is that as executives, we often come to the table with, I've been so successful in what I've done in my career to get to this point, I'll be successful here by doing great things myself. And what you challenged me to think about in that story is, no, it's how do we as a team come together, form those relationships, form that connection, and build that team accountability, which is really valuable. Yeah, and I think there was another thing hidden inside that story. Um, the two other coaches that I had on that team, neither one of them had actually been on a coaching team that coached a team. Okay. And we discussed it afterwards. It's the idea that as an executive coach, it's an amazingly satisfying thing to do. It's such an honor to be yeah. invited into somebody's leadership journey. Mm -hmm. And as a coach, you know that moment when you guys are actually aligned and committed right. to each other's success. You really do sort of take on the joys and challenges of your coaching client. And it is yeah, really something that is, um, it's wonderful. And right. everybody who's a professional coach knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. What my two colleagues discovered was that that feeling of accomplishment and joy in coaching, it multiplies itself exponentially when you're coaching an entire team. That makes sense. You start to take on the personalities and the challenges and the quirks yeah. and all that stuff of everybody around <laughs> the table. Right. And you know it's working when somebody that you're not coaching says to you, hey, that thing you said in that meeting, I really appreciated that. Is it okay if you and I talk about that? Or do I need to talk about that with my coach? Yeah. And it's part of the reason why we just have had such a good time over the last five years. Everything is growing. Our business, mm -hmm. our confidence, the skills of our coaches, because we really have committed to this idea that good leadership is a team sport, that coaching in our world is a plural endeavor, because it really does multiply those joys. And so it also kind of makes me reflect on that from a coaching standpoint that we have to also think in terms of the right coaches to have on the team, those that can buy into the idea of a team and working across an organization and across a team of leaders and seeing the organization grow as a team. And so that's a unique perspective that I think really adds value to this idea of coaching as a team sport. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we're really lucky in our firm to have this woman named Erin and Aaron is really, really gifted at assessing, you know, what people's strengths are, what their interests yes, are, is. and she knows how to put the teams together in ways that make my work effortless. So, you know, cheers to Aaron right here, huh? Definitely, because she is also very good at understanding 
how coaches connect with the individuals they touch base with, and then how that connects into the team as well. So she does an outstanding job for us. You're exactly right. So there's something else you mentioned in that story, Paul, I want to come back to just briefly now. And we may want to dig into this in a future podcast more fully. And it's the concept of trust being an outcome versus trust being the input to successful teams. And I think that's so unique for us to remember when we think about team-based coaching, because just as you shared that John was looking at how do I build trust? We should just trust each other. Let's build trust first, and then we'll work together. And he began to recognize through this experience, when we work together well, we build trust. I think many leaders face the same challenge. They struggle up front when they don't feel there's trust in their team, and they just want to almost mandate or by edict demand trust and then assume the results will come. And I think that one of the things we've uncovered well in the team momentum model and in the work we do with teams is that when we get the structural elements of that team functioning well, there are solving problems and making good plans together. And when that relational element comes together and they want to win as a team, that trust goes up significantly. So that's a really unique perspective that I don't want us to get lost here, but we can come back and spend more time on that, but really valuable in the idea of leadership being a team sport. Yeah. Okay, Kevin, that's an excellent bridge over into the success habits part of our podcast where we are going to make suggestions that the listeners can take away and try if they want to, to improve their own team leadership. As coaches, we recommended to John that he use his strength at the beginning of every meeting and they use at least 20 minutes. They met for two hours twice a week. Okay. Okay. So we suggested that they take 20 minutes to check in with each other. Just do a personal check-in because the types of transformational changes they're making in their behaviors are also very, very disruptive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, transformation is exciting to some and really disruptive to others. And depending right. on what kind of behavior change you're asking them to make, you know, this is Minnesota where, where I'm sitting right now, and we got a lot of Minnesota nice. Yeah. And so one of the things they discovered was that they need equal time in their meetings. They all should be talking equally. Mm. And that was a real hard thing for some of them. So he learned to ask them, how are you really doing with this stuff? And how are you really doing right now in your life? Mm -hmm. And once they started to open up with each other, it got easier to talk about the tough stuff. Ah, makes sense. So that first success habit was making sure they're setting aside 20 minutes for every time they get together for personal check-in. Okay. So perhaps our listeners can think about that and maybe incorporate that into their own team meetings. And then Mm -hmm. the second one was everything really did start to change when they started to use data about how the team was functioning. And you mentioned up front that as physicians, they like data. As healthcare professionals, they like data. So that really makes sense for them. Yeah, and it took them a while to realize there were lots of different ways they could collect data. Right. You know, the Team Momentum Survey is one way, and we don't really recommend people do that any more than two or three times a year. But we also did discovery interviews where we interviewed everybody about what was working and what wasn't working. And that's a, you know, a typical executive coaching type of thing to do. Right. Yeah. But also they, they started making public scorecards to track the mm. things they said were important. And they started tracking them by every two weeks. And so assigning a color, red, yellow, or green, we all know what those mean, right. to each one of the things that were important to them, it gave them data for how they were doing. And mm. because they had data about the team, they were able to communicate with their own direct report teams better, more clearly, and more in a more compelling way, especially as all the indicators went from reds to yellows up to greens. 
So as I hear you say that, Paul, the two key success habits I'm hearing are taking time to check in with one another at the beginning of each meeting. So we build that connection, understanding of where we're at and how things are going. And then secondly, creating some clear metrics or some clear data that we can use to truly track where we're at and what's working and not working. But it's uh, really powerful to think about those items of helping to move a team to thinking about we versus me and really moving on to that next level. So thank you for that story, Paul. Uh, excellent place for us to start our new podcast. And with that, we just want to say thank you so much for tuning in to our first podcast of 2022. And we're really looking forward to furthering this conversation around leading and coaching teams. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and we always want to hear from you, whether it's your thoughts on what we've discussed or uh, additional items you'd like to hear about in future episodes. To reach us, you can send us a note at info at goodleadership.com. That's I-N-F-O at goodleadership.com. Yeah, so thank you, Kevin. And we also want to do a shout out to our colleague, Ellen, who's the producer of this podcast. She's really done an excellent job at helping us make this shift. She sure has. Thanks, Ellen. Well, and Kevin, I got to admit, everything I do with you is a joy. You really make this fun. So let's remember together that we are motivated by this idea that goodness pays. And goodness is when people thrive together in a culture of encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork. And it's that thrive together idea that really fuels your passion and mine around good leadership as a team sport. We really hope this podcast helps you build the team of your dreams. Talk with you soon.